The time's 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor and streaming online everywhere at WERU.org. Healthy Options with your host Cynthia Swan is up next. Welcome to Healthy Options. My name is Cynthia Swan, and we're here to talk about medical cannabis. My first guest is Alex Liebster. He's the Director of Research and Product Development at Thomas C. Slater Center in Providence, Rhode Island. He's also the owner of the company Triple Helix Extract Sciences. And and Alex, um, to contact him, triplehelixextracts.com T-R-I-P-L-E-H-E-L-I-X extracts E-X-T-R-A-C-T-S dot com Alex, I want you just to elaborate a little bit on the the Thomas C. Slater Center. Um, What is it? And just so listeners can have a little bit more information on the center. Sure. Absolutely. First of all, thank you for having me on the show. I appreciate the opportunity. My pleasure. Um, The Thomas C. Slater Center is one of two licensed compassion centers in the state of Rhode Island. Um, So it's one of uh, two the Department of Health is deemed qualified to dispense uh, cannabis to patients that that assign it as a caregiver. Okay, and that's where, and you head up all of the products? Absolutely, yeah, product development. Anything in regards to uh, patient consumption as far as edible products, um, any infusions that are made, uh, cookies, uh, any any type of uh, product that the patient would consume generally we're involved in. And I do want listeners to know, I actually um, went to the Thomas uh, C. Slater Center at um, Alex's invitation when I was down that way visiting friends in Massachusetts. I actually went into Providence and I did um, get to have a tour of that facility. So just for full disclosure purposes, I actually got to see it, and um, it was very impressive. Um, your triple helix extract sciences, that's like another it is. Well, it's tied, your- it's tied in, absolutely. And what it is, uh, basically triple helix uh, functions uh, as a consulting service and also as a processing service for patients, caregivers, and dispensaries. Uh, the idea being is that we're able to process the medicine from the flowers into a usable extract. Um, it's calculated, it's dialable, it's, it's easy to understand exactly what's inside of it, um, easy to analyze, so that way uh, parents or patients themselves can also have a great idea of the kind of medicine that they're able to use. Um, like a compounding pharmacy? Semi, yes, yeah, very similar, yes, exactly. Okay, well, let's, let's jump right in. What is medical cannabis? Medical cannabis uh, can be defined by many things, but a medical cannabis typically would be uh, the flowers or, or buds off of a, a marijuana plant, a female marijuana plant. Um, and it's actually really the compounds that are in the uh, flowers, um, mostly the cannabinoids, most famously THC and CBD. But there are terpenes or many other, other compounds within the cannabis plant that are deemed medically beneficial. Okay. And so what, um, what conditions is it used to treat? A multitude of conditions, honestly. Uh, Most states' approved conditions are fairly limited uh, to severe cases as far as uh, cancer and AIDS, uh, epilepsy. Uh, But cancer, truthfully, has been used for for many different things, Uh, depression, anxiety, uh, PTSD especially. Um, Post-traumatic stress disorder. Absolutely, yes. It's huge for PTSD patients. Uh, And how do people take it? 
for I mean, do they smoke it? Do they uh, typically? typically? Uh, t- well, I'd say that that is the most traditional method of, of cannabis consumption, though. Uh, most recently, within the past few years, we've been able to develop techniques that allow us to create these extractions and uh, turn them into infused products. And the infused products are really big because uh, it eliminates a lot of the undesirable taste that would come from a raw plant material uh, extraction or an edible product where it's very bitter. Uh, it contains the plant matter, but it's the plant sterols that that really uh, contribute to the bitterness. So it's like a bitter plant, like a lot of uh, it, it's the greens. Well, the green and then the chlorophyll contributes to the, to the bitter taste. So by extracting it, we're able to eliminate the chlorophyll, which makes uh, for a more palatable product and something that also uh, dials in the cannabinoid content. Uh, what that means is is we're able to, instead of having um, a lot of other unusable compounds that are there as far as the leaf matter, chlorophyll, um, we're able to access just the medicinal compounds, dial them, and from there infuse them into uh, uh, oil or uh, a, a multitude of different modalities um, that a patient can take uh, in very small doses, but not doesn't involve smoking, doesn't involve any carcinogens, doesn't involve uh, you know, the act of combusting the medicine. Okay, so it's interesting because I know that one of the major complaints about plant medicine, yeah. botanical medicine in general, is that I'll hear a lot of um, I'll hear uh, physicians or a lot of conventional medicine people say, "Well, we just don't know what people are getting. We don't know sure. what the breakdown is. We don't know what um, you know what quantity." that they're actually getting of, you know, whatever the medical component sure. is. Sure, and, that, and that's actually been a very big part of the struggle with medical cannabis for a very long time is exactly that, is the dialability and knowing exactly what's in has been limited. Um, although I will say that more recently we've had access to uh, analytical equipment, um, high-performance liquid chromatography and gas chromatography equipment, which allows us to analyze the compounds uh, more specifically as far as their concentrations. So. Oh, there. so you can actually say this is the concentration. We know this is what you're getting? Of specific compounds. Very correct. And from there, okay. we can infuse them in a variety of uh, strengths. So from there, it's a customizable strength uh, to where a patient can get exactly what they need when they need it for the dose that they need it for. Interesting. Interesting. I, I'd like to... Um, jump in and introduce my other guest now, who is actually a school teacher in Sanford and also Adeline's mom. And her name is Megan Patrick. And she's on sabbatical, I believe, for um, while you're helping Adeline. Um, Adeline was um, in uh, May of 2013 diagnosed with infantile spasms and uh, intractable, intractable medication-resistant epilepsy. And um, so Megan is here uh, by my invitation, and I, I met Megan through Alex to share her story um, with your daughter, and uh, I'd, I'd like to just bring you on. I, I do want to say, if people want to contact Megan, Megan has a Facebook page in which she's involved in with a group of uh, other uh, families called uh, Maine Epilepsy Families United. And that's on Facebook. And also, she's willing to give out her email to um, for folks who have questions, Ken and Megan at Hotmail.com. And I have both Megan and her little 17-month-old um, Adeline right here in the studio. So, so Megan, if you good will. Morning. Uh, good morning. What, what, uh, what brought you to medical cannabis? 
it's been a very long journey. Um, Adeline was diagnosed in May of 2012, um, 2013, excuse me, last year, about a year now, mm -hmm. um, with epilepsy. She was born very happy and healthy, but we noticed that she had some eye um, trouble focusing for a period of time. So we followed that with an MRI, um, and that revealed that Adeline has a brain malformation, um, not genetic, not you know related to our family in any way, just a, a fluke genetic problem. Um, and it causes her to have very difficult to control epilepsy. Um, Addie is currently on three different standard pharmaceutical drugs plus the ketogenic diet, and she's still having many, many seizures daily. Um, okay, I want I want you to jump in on the ketogenic diet because for some sure. listeners, this might be something that they're not familiar with. What is the ketogenic diet? Sure, the ketogenic diet is very, very specific um, ratio of fats to combined carbs and protein. So Addie's on a two to one ratio right now, which means um, everything that goes into her mouth has to be weighed on a gram scale. She has two grams of fat in her diet for every one gram of combined carbon protein. Um, so and, it's and a the very idea strict. is that the fat is what feeds the brain. That the fat yes. is what helps the brain. I, I know sure. some people say, "Well, we're really fat heads. We need a lot of fat." <laughs> yeah. Uh, instead of these low fat type of diets. Yeah, doctors don't quite really understand why this works, but it is. But it uh, does been A proven therapy for many, many um, kids is used in a lot of. Um, hospitals around the country to help control epilepsy. Um, I didn't know it, that. I, yeah. I know the weight loss thing. I know people who are big yeah, on weight loss. Yeah, this doesn't really help with weight loss, but it, um, it definitely um, it works by mimicking starvation in the body. So it, right. it tricks your body into starvation mode and it changes the way your body metabolizes food um, so that it's not operating on you know, carbs and sugars like yours and mine. Mm -hmm. and, um, her, Adeline's body runs off of fat, fat. and that um, is and proven that seems in many to be, cases. And that seems to be... Helping. I don't so feel like it's helping, honestly, um, at the moment, but um, it's hard to know. You know, okay. in seizure world, you only make one small incremental change at a time. Um, and when we started the ketogenic diet, Adeline was in a crisis kind of situation where she was seizing every one to two minutes. Oh, my God. Um, so, so we started keto and we also started some other meds at the same time. So it's difficult to know. So did the meds... The meds, well, the meds couldn't have taken care of everything, or you wouldn't have been seeking medical cannabis. So, <laughs> That's so right. what what happened in that? What made you make that leap to medical cannabis? Sure. So in August, um, you know, as I was saying, Addie's on on three different drugs, very heavy pharmaceutical drugs, um, plus the diet. In August, Children's Hospital in Boston sent us home and said, you know, we're doing everything we can. I'm very sorry your daughter's having seizures every one to two minutes, but you'll just have to go home and wait for the diet to become more effective in her system. Um, at that point, we parted ways with Children's Hospital and met a fantastic epileptologist, uh, Dr. Elizabeth Teal over at Mass General Hospital. She's the director of pediatric epilepsy there. Um, and she was able to make some uh, standard pharmaceutical adjustments to Adeline's uh, regimen. That, and that were helpful? Helped, yes, but certainly did not come close to eliminating um, the seizure. And the standard so pharmaceutical she, so drugs... So she was still getting these multiple seizures, mm, even mm, on all this yes. anti-seizure medication. Yes. And I would imagine... Well, I don't... I, I'm just thinking when you're that medicated, what was her quality of life? That's right. So prior to seizure, Adeline was able to you know, stand in her jumperoo and jump around and yeah. smile and laugh and do normal things that a normal baby would do. Uh -huh. um, once we've started medicating her um, as heavily as we are, you know, she sleeps the vast majority of the day. Um, she no longer smiled. Um, she wow. lost the ability to feed herself. Um, she lost the ability to even suckle appropriately at a bottle because she just could not coordinate her muscles appropriately enough to be able to suckle and swallow, have that suck-swallow yeah, rhythm, right, you know, that you would right. need to have. Um, 
Wow. It, it's really horrific um, as a parent to see your child's uh, development go backwards. Sure. You know, to the point where she can't really do anything. Um, she, Addie's currently tube-fed because she's, so again, so heavily medicated. So in September, we met Dr. Teal, made those adjustments, and then began researching pretty heavily medical cannabis um, after trying the first So few. at Mass General, this mm-hmm. physician was actually on board with you? Yes. She supports, um, she supports medical cannabis as far as a physician can in this country, you know, there are laws that ties physicians' hands as well. Yes. Um, which is very challenging as a parent. You know, you really want direction from somebody that knows what they're doing. But because this substance is federally illegal, right. we can't cross state lines with this legally. And mm-hmm. we also um, don't have the ability to research it in this country. So we rely on other countries such as Israel, um, you know, to do a lot of the researched that can guide yeah, us in terms I, I of what these... I remember seeing, Alex, I think you were the one who led me to this YouTube video uh, that uh, it, it's used in hospitals. In, was used in a hospital in Israel? Well, absolutely, yeah. There's a multitude of uses and, and uh, studies that have been done uh, overseas, mostly abroad. Again, as, as Megan said, it's it's a Schedule One drug. So that being Schedule One, it limits any type of research that institutions can do, uh, okay. medical or university. It was being treated, if I remember, this was a cancer patient that I saw in this video in Jerusalem, and yeah. he was actually smoking it in the hospital. I was kind of like, whoa. Yeah, that that's, is, that's, uh, you would, I, I would be hard-pressed to see that in the U.S. Yeah, um, it was but pretty would, amazing Yeah, to me and that's, to that is that. incredible. I mean, I think, I think the more traditional modalities in the U.S. would be um, a syringe uh, oil-based products or uh, capsules. Uh, infused with with uh, organic uh, oils, typically they're okay. the easiest or the most familiar mm-hmm. uh, to people to consume as medicine, um, and it just seems to be what we found to be the most effective thus far. Um, at the Slater Center, we've had a lot of great opportunities to work with a local hospital um, and work with a variety of patients, uh, pediatric and adult. So you find in Rhode Island there that they're open at the Slater House? They're open to working with the Slater House, these allopathic practitioners? Oh, ab- absolutely. Well, and more so, I think that the the practitioners can appreciate uh, a professional licensed regulated facility. Okay. Um, one that, as you remember seeing when you went on tour there, I mean, it's it's yeah. well put together and yeah. it's very secure. It's a, it's a beautiful mm-hmm. environment. It's very comfortable for patients to come to and, and uh, procure their medicine. And more so, they've been comfortable by us having this technology or this ability to dial in specifically the medicine where right. we can say um, your patient needs five milligrams, your patient needs 15, 25, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. we can custom tailor the medicine for them. So that way, when they come to Slater, they know that the medicine is exactly what they need. So be. you're working in tandem with their healthcare practitioners. Or Absolutely. Other and, practitioners. and at this point, really, the, the limited research that we're able to do mm-hmm. are in the medical states in the U.S. so far that exists, and it's mostly anecdotal. Um, there's nothing that's real white paper research. I think or there's official. 10 states. Aren't there only 10 states? Uh, you know? No. There are more than 20. Oh, now. yeah, more than 20 in the union now. I mean, it's it's, oh, it's wow. getting to the point where it's almost half of the union has some type of medical marijuana law in oh, place. Oh, wow, or, I didn't realize that. Or yes. if, if not in place, it's pending on the ballot uh, okay. for between now and 2016. So, so we'll see some changes. So, uh, Megan, I'm, I'm going to jump back to you. So you... So you were uh, at Massachusetts General. Mm-hmm. Her physician said, yes, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, go for it. And then where did you go from there? How did you obtain it? Because yeah, you of, live in Maine. Yeah, we did a lot, a lot of online research. Um, 
you know, with seizure patients, especially my daughter, who is a baby, uh-huh. um, it was very daunting to think about trying to figure out how I was going to take this plant that I could easily access in the state of Maine mm-hmm. um, legally because she's epilepsy, which is a qualifying condition in the state of Maine, and try to figure out how I'm going to dose her with this. How am I going to do this safely and accurately? Um, and so honestly, we stalled out for a long time looking for appropriate medicine. Lots and lots and lots of wonderful, fantastic folks in the state of Maine said, you know, I've got something growing in my backyard that can help you. But um, we were looking for a really high CBD, very low THC version of the plant. Okay, that- so what does that mean? I'm going to Alex, what does that mean? High CBD, low THC. Those are the two main cannabinoid compounds within the cannabis plant. Typically, those are the ones in highest concentration. You'll have THC, tetrahydrocannabinol, or CBD. It's cannabidiol. Um, Cannabidiol has been most effective thus far um, in treatment of seizure patients. Um, Although I will say that it's been a conjunction of both THC and CBD, the higher concentration of CBD has been more desirable. And the problem with that is from a cultivation standpoint, um, we have mostly bred out uh, a lot of the CBD content of a lot of cannabis strains. So mostly the things that are available in the commercial market Given the illegal status and the psychedelic nature of cannabis, we mm-hmm. bred for higher THC varieties than CBD. For so, the high. Exactly right. So with that being said, um, the majority of strains available either by caregivers or in compassion centers are typically higher THC varieties. Uh, luckily, at Slater Center and, and Personal Gardens here, through breeding projects. And in and your... your- um, your work also with uh, Triple Helix? With Triple Helix, absolutely. We, right, so we have uh, varieties that are very high in CBD, um, so much so that some are actually just CBD. CBD only. Um, okay. So we, we have a variety of, of what are called phenotypes to choose from. Um, it's varieties of cannabis that will display certain characteristics that you would choose for. Okay. Um, so with that, we're able to create an extraction and from there make an infusion dialed into exactly what, to exactly what that patient needs. Okay, interesting. Correct. So, so Megan, um, so what did you do? I called every dispensary in the state. I, you know, called, contacted a lot of caregiver organizations here um, trying to find that particular strain, and it was very difficult to find. Um, really, the best that we could come up with was a one-to-one mm-hmm. uh, ratio between those two um, chemicals, and we were really looking for more of an 18-to-one, um, okay. high CBD, low high THC. CBD. Okay. THC um, and it was really difficult to find. Um, we did finally get wind from another mom that was growing something um, that would be helpful, applicable for Adeline. Um, but unfortunately, again, I still had this problem of having this plant, but not having lab testing facilities here in the state of Maine that could um, tell me very clearly what the cannabinoid profile was. So right. I knew exactly what I was giving her. And then even if I had a plant and had lab testing facilities, it would still be very difficult for me to then cook this down into a medicine that I can give her well, yeah, safely. If you, something works, you want to have the same, exactly. you know, the same uh, right. constituents in it, right? Exactly. Absolutely. Like the consistent even dosing is very important in in, uh, medicine. And I feel that that really is the fallback thus far with cannabis medicine has been the inconsistency of dose, uh, even homogenation of of, uh, your your active compounds. So um, by doing it into an oil or or a similar fashion, you really do create a very even, unanimous dose throughout the... Okay. So, so So then you couldn't find it in Maine. So I, we did look at Colorado, and, and we did take a trip out to Colorado, but 
we have been able to access medicine here through Alex. Through Alex. Um, oh, okay. So what has been the game changer for us is being able to have that tincture then tested, that oil that Alex referred to tested, so we know exactly how many milligrams are in a milliliter. So I know exactly what I'm giving her for dosing. When I go to our doctor in Boston, I can say, this is what I'm giving her. She's having so many milligrams three times a day. I can titrate up slowly as we do on all seizure meds. You start Mm -hmm. a very low dose and then work your way up slowly over time, over a matter of weeks or months um, to get to what you think is a therapeutic dose. Um, so how? So what? What is her dose now? So, so Adeline, she, what? She's, I can, she's a little bit of a thing. She's seventeen months old. How yes. much does she weigh? Um, she's about twenty-four pounds. Twenty-four pounds, and you're giving her uh, the, the medical cannabis three times a day. Yes, it's very high in CBD, and she's on a uh, one milligram per pound dosing right now. So she's still on a relatively low dose. Now, how long has she been on the medical cannabis? Um, about seven weeks now. Seven weeks. So that's not very long. No. But but what are you? Have you noticed any change? <laughs> Um, you're smiling because you look like you were going to cry when I was first talking to you, and now you're well, smiling. Well, as I told you before, Adeline hadn't smiled in months and months and months because she was so heavily sedated. And With the anti-seizure medication. All okay. of the anti-seizure medications also cause things like anxiety and depression and all of these horrible things. They mess with your brain chemistry. Okay. Um, so when about a week and a half into starting the cannabis therapy, again, on a very low dose, like a quarter of a milligram per pound, mm-hmm. um, Addie smiled. And wow, so as we titrated up on that medicine, she's been smiling more and more. And again, she's not on THC. She's not getting high. She's feeling well. Um, she's been more alert and responsive, more engaged with her environment. Um, Addie has a visual impairment as well that goes along with her um, with original brain. diagnosis. Okay. Exactly. She has optic nerve hypoplasia, so her optic nerves are underdeveloped. They're too small. Okay. So we have some fancy testing done with her down in Boston that measures her vision. They put some leads on the back of her head. Um, and over a period of the last six months or so, her vision has gone from 2600, which is god awful, mm-hmm. um, to 2100. So she's now seeing more things. Now, I wouldn't necessarily attribute it all to cannabis, but I can tell you that she is using the vision that she has much better because she's able to be alert and focused. Well, if it's six months, you, wouldn't you attribute some of it to the anti-seizure medication or would you look at it as diet related? I mean, how do you vision, know? Vision is something that can grow over time. Okay. Um, so all babies are born with horrible, horrible vision, and then it, it grows over time. It gets better, more and more acute as children um, grow okay. and develop till about age five. Then you finally get your 20-20 vision. So um, you're noticing changes like um, she's more alert? She's using her she's, body better. She's uh, moving her arms and legs. She's able to roll to her sides, whereas before she just laid there. It's heartbreaking. She just laid there so she's kind of engaged in life yes she's living again you know not not where we want her to be but she's making forward progress again when we talk about terms of her development yes talking seven weeks yes now she smiles easily every day now did you lower the um seizure medication at all we have lowered the seizure meds um twice so we lowered it uh, maybe two weeks into starting cannabis therapy um kind of separate from starting the cannabis again in seizure world you make one small change at a time but dr teal felt that um, it was time to lower one of those medicines that causes um helps control the infantile spasms Addie has a couple of different seizure types and this infantile spasms is something that you do outgrow over time mm-hmm. um but so we haven't been seeing the spasms since Addie's been on this vigabatrin, but it causes vision loss in 30% of kids and so on and so forth. Yes, it has so some I can other understand why you would yes. want to get her off. So we of have dropped that a little bit. So you're getting mm-hmm. the medical cannabis from Triple Helix? Yes, yes. 
Okay, and and that um, and that is um, that's that's got the right constituent. And um, again, and you've got it calibrated. Yes, it does. And well, what's what's really important about it is is what Megan made the point of saying was is the best we were able to find was a one to one. By using our technology, we can eliminate that gap of having to find a very particular strain with the strain library that we have established. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very easy from that point to custom formulate. Uh, a particular dose as you want and adjust it as necessary. Um, so when she says we start off at low dose and we gradually worked our way up, it's a very customizable medicine. And that's where the the real value comes into uh, not having to search for a strain. I mean, searching for a strain takes a long time. It's it's the process of, of sexing a plant as there's an A and B sexual counterpart for, for cannabis. There's a male and female plant. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's the, the sexing of the plant. There's the actual cultivation. Then there's the lab testing to find out what it is and then having to regrow and regenerate that plant. Um, so it's it's a time it's consuming. Pretty involved. It is. It is actually a very involved process. Um, as simplistic as it is, it's also very technical. Um, mm-hmm. So it is something that takes a long time to develop. Where if you can um, get over the hump of having to search for a very particular strain and analyze precis- precisely what's in there, mm-hmm. and custom formulate a, a solution that is very similar in composition. Uh, and adjust it from there, it creates a very easy option for for parents, for patients, for dispensaries, for anybody who needs a dialed option for uh, a quick solution instead of having to search for for the end of of end-all strains. Okay, you are listening to WERU Community Radio. My name is Cynthia Swan for Healthy Options, and we're talking about medical cannabis. We're at 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 FM in Bangor, and streaming, WERU.org. My guests today are Alex Liebster, and Alex works at the uh, Thomas C. Slater Center, where he's actually the Director of Research and Product Development in Providence, Rhode Island, and he's the owner of the Triple Helix Extract Sciences, um, uh, kind of a compounding pharmacy for... um, Amongst researchers, sure. Research I, w- I wouldn't. I wouldn't really call us. Sure, I wouldn't good. call us a compounding pharmacy, but I would say we're more of a service that is just kind of um, trying to really open the information for what is available for patients and give them an option thus far, uh, just to process and, and give the medicine that they're legally allowed to possess and give it back to them in a in a fashion that is suited for what they need. And and they can get a hold of you at triplehelixextracts.com. They That's can. the website. And then I have um, Megan Patrick, um, who is uh, Adeline's mother. We, Megan was just sharing her story. And um, you can contact Megan <clears throat> on Facebook, the Maine Epilepsy Families United, and also by email, kenandmegan at hotmail.com. We're going to take a very brief break. And then we'll come back and we're going to open this up. We're going to speak a little bit more about medical cannabis and we're going to open this up to questions. Thanks.
welcome back. Cynthia Swan here for Healthy Options. We're having a conversation about medical cannabis. And I do want to invite uh, callers to feel free to call in and ask either of my guests a question. And our toll-free number is 866-625-WERU. That's 866-625-9378. And we do have a caller. We have a question. Welcome, caller, if you want to give us your first name or the town you're from and your question. Good morning. This is Yo in Tremont. I'd like to ask Alex, if he would, to discuss the relative merits of smoking versus ingestion versus uh, transdermal application of these compounds for health. Absolutely. Thank you for putting on this program, and thank you to everyone for supporting Community Radio. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for the question. It's actually a great, great question. Um, There are a multitude of uh, methods, as you mentioned, in which you can uh, ingest. Typically, the most are smoking. Uh, There is edible forms, and then there are topical varieties. Um, The difference... um, as far as uh, consumption methods, I would say smoking has been more used for a therapeutic uh, application, more for relaxation and for um, immediate, quick, uh, direct administration of the medicine uh, for a quick effect. Um, it's typically used in that fashion. Uh, I personally wouldn't, uh, or not necessarily don't recommend it, I do. I just uh, would prefer the option of a, like you had mentioned, a transdermal uh, topical application or an edible option. Uh, the edible option allows you also to um, consume it in a, in a discreet fashion. Uh, it's easy to consume, uh, and also it's more effective by the milligram dose. Um, you can have uh, more of an effect from less amount of medicine. Um so that is that is a real big benefit. Uh, in addition to uh, the the topical application is is really great as well for direct application for especially cancer patients or uh, patients who have uh, psoriasis or t- skin type conditions. Um, I usually recommend in conjunction with a high uh, THC or CBD tincture. Uh, will target direct application with a lotion for the area of which cancer has affected the body of that person. So if they have a lung cancer or a pancreatic or, or stomach cancer, we'll also use uh, the medicines conjunctively together. Um, so there's no really best method, I would say. It's it's more just what's applicable to the person and what is um more suited for their lifestyle. Uh, a lot of people I wouldn't recommend if no one's ever been a smoker before, if you've never smoked cannabis, uh, typically I wouldn't recommend starting just given the fact that you're combusting the substance. Um, generally smoking cannabis has been very relatively safe. Uh, there hasn't been a lot of the the testing have been done from it. Um, that haven't really, uh, had long-term adverse side effects that have been proven so far though. Uh, I would say that from a general health standpoint, I would more advocate for a, a edible option or a topical option. So does, I mean, does smoking it affect the lungs? I mean, does it? It, it, it definitely, absolutely, it does affect the lungs. Um, as far as the technical end of how it affects the lungs, uh, I have an idea, but I wouldn't want to say just uh, for fear of being wrong in a technicality. Yeah. But I would say that uh, smoking in any variety, I know that 
combustion of a substance produces carbon and carbon isn't generally good for you to inhale. Um, though I will say that most long tests, long capacity test results that I've seen 20 year, 30 year cannabis smokers still have 90 and a hundred, uh, up to 105% lung, lung capacity. capacity. Right. So as far as so it's very different from tobacco, correct. Correct. And my understanding is that it doesn't clog the cilia of your lungs though. Um, which tobacco does, which yeah. tobacco does. So the, and the other hand is, um, yeah, it does work very differently. I can't say factually that it doesn't affect it, given the fact that we really don't have white paper research to say otherwise. It's all anecdotal for the most part. Up to right, now. because we don't have enough of the studies, at least in this country. And, in this realm, right, exactly. And in, in, in this, this realm. Sure. So uh, you, you said something about now tincture is direct application. The tincture, are they, are you putting the tincture on topically well, or they're taking it sublingually? Sublingually. T- yeah, typically so tinctures are. in the mouth. Correct. And so, um, so if, if now I'm, I'm thinking about uh, Megan, your daughter. So I saw you kind of titrate before we did the show. You were um, putting it into a syringe, but I didn't watch beyond that because I, I was talking to Alex. So was that in, in her mouth? Yes. So Adeline's application is sublingual. Um, she really has such a highly concentrated dose that she really only takes um, she really only takes a, a couple of drops. Really, it's it's measurable. It is um, less than half of one of a point one milliliter. So she takes point zero four milliliters three times daily. Um, it's a very small dose, so it's able to go under her tongue very easily, um, and it doesn't seem to bother her at all. Um, and she and 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 is the, her response immediate? Um, Addie doesn't have seizures all the time, um, so, so now she can go she hours without them. So she was it having much better, almost yes. 200 to 300 seizures. I mean, if she was having a seizure every two minutes when this started, she was having at least 200 to 300 seizures a day, right? Yes, yeah, so she was having that many seizures back in August. We did make some um, standard pharmaceutical changes right. that improved that um, substantially. So before we started cannabis therapy, she was um, in the neighborhood of maybe um, 20, 30, or 40 um, seizures daily. Um, it really varies. Addie has um, very small eye deviation seizures, so if I'm not staring right at her, I may not see every single one. Okay. Um, but of, you know, of course, it substantially. But I, I mean, I've noticed now. She's life. been here for um, almost. Well, I've been around her for an hour, and I haven't seen any indicate. And, and also, I saw activity. She started to kind of move and talk. So sure. So. All these things, at least combined, are working. So I want I want to ask you, Megan, are you hoping to get her off anti seizure medication completely and and to be on medical cannabis only? I'm realistic to the fact that my in my daughter's particular situation, she has a brain malformation, and that that's not cannabis isn't going to cure that. Okay, um, you know she's wired differently than you and I, but I'm hoping that we can reduce some of her seizure medicines enough so that she can have a better quality of life. Um, for other children, such as little Charlotte Figgy out in Colorado, and many many others like her, right, they have I'm, become completely seizure free and are just on cannabis medication. Yeah, that that was a YouTube video I saw. Also, they call that strain. Isn't that the CB? It's the Charlotte's Web. Yes. Is that's that's what's yeah. known as, which is a big one. Ours is known as the antidote, um, which is a very very high CBD, uh, almost non-existent THC, less than one uh, percent. 
uh, THC. So Great. You're listening to WERU's Healthy Options. I'm Cynthia Swan. My guest today, Alex Liebster, who is the Director of Research and Product Development at the Thomas C. Slater Center in Providence, Rhode Island, and the owner of the company Triple Helix Extract Sciences. And I also have mom and school teacher, Megan Patrick, who is sharing her story about her daughter Adeline and her um, journey with medical cannabis. We're open to calls, so if you want to call, you can give us a call at our toll-free number here, 866-625-9378. And again, that's 866-625-WERU. Um, Alex, so I, I that question that our... Um, that the caller gave to you about the smoking, the edible, the topical. So topical treatments are, are those mostly used for skin conditions? Uh, I would say yes. A lot of it has been used for skin conditions though. Um, creatively, a lot of people have used it for direct application of cannabinoid therapy for sore muscles. Uh, instead of having to rely on taking an edible, uh, allowing it to go through the digestive process and the breakdown in your liver. So uh, it gets into the bloodstream. It gets into the bloodstream, right. correct. Um, so instead of having to go through that process, you have a direct uh, transdermal application of the medicine. So is it, um, so what, So it's used for psoriasis, for eczema? It is. It's used for psoriasis, for eczema, uh, pain management. Uh, so it actually helps with pain better? Absolutely. Yeah. The, 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 it's more about the delivery system. What's interesting about cannabis is uh, the compounds are, are the compounds, right? But more mm-hmm. so what's what's interesting and what's going to be new as far as innovative products is the delivery methods. Um, how are you actually bringing that product and delivering it to the body? Um, and how is it being used by the body as well is, is also very important. Um, so it's more just the conjunction of all the modalities, I think, in my opinion, of targeted use of what's best suited for the individual. Um, just more, I just I like to focus on individualized medicine with cannabis because more it's, it's not a one-size-fits-all type of an option. When people make uh, a, a tincture as one or uh, flowers as one, whatever they may be, that may work for one patient. But everyone, like you said, their chemistry is different. Their body chemistry is absolutely different. So for me, I couldn't see the justification of making large-scale anything or even as a so generalized batch. So you make batch. these in small batches? Everything is actually made individually. So every person... So for an individual patient? Correct. Every, Gosh, the cost has to be really high that way. It's not, actually. Well, it's more, you know, I think... Um, when you produce it, the cost is actually the same. So it's okay. it's more the scale uh, time actually is more consuming, but it's more it's more about the experience for the person, right? So okay. I think if uh, part of it is feeling comfortable with the individual and and really getting an understanding of what does that person need, what are they requiring, what uh, obstacles or conditions or symptoms are they trying to overcome, and not really just cannabis, but also the other essential oils, other that can be used conjunctively or synergistically with cannabis. I mean, cannabis isn't just the option as itself. I mean, the, the compounds themselves are, are just absolutely fascinating from so many other, other standpoints. So the way you break it down, in other words, it's not just um, under, it's the umbrella's medical cannabis, but under it is all these different configurations of dosage that certain dosages or certain amounts 
of the THC versus the versus other compounds, compounds exactly right. is is that's what you're looking at targeting for a specific issue. So, um, and and I know that there's not tons of research in this country. Sure. There's very little research in this country. So we might be speaking anecdotally right now. Absolutely. And, and uh, so I just for the most part, well, what that. I can what I can say is the the research that does exist from a white paper standpoint is that the ratio seems to be more relevant than actual compound, right? So the presence is generally the same as far as the types of compounds that are present. Um, they're usually very similar terpenes or naturally occurring substances, and the, the cannabinoids are generally the same as far as THC and CBD, uh, and then some of the other minor uh, presence cannabinoids. But mostly THC and CBD are what is of concern to patients. So they're all generally the same. It's more... It's these fine little fine ways adjustment. You well, it's, a, it's a ratio of whether it's a two to one or a seventeen to one or a one to one. Um, so being able to custom tailor for the effect of what works well for every patient. Like I, I have patients I know I know quite a few that don't do well with CBD only medicine. It requires the conjunctive effort of both THC and and CBD. Um, and more so, what's important about the lab testing end is it's not just. CBD or THC, it's also their their acid form, which is THCA and CBDA. Um, now, what does that mean? What do you mean their acid form? Acid form, it's it's uh, the cannabinoid is is a carboxylic acid, and um, by having that carboxylic acid attached to the THC structure, it remains non psychoactive when it's heated above a certain temperature. It is. It goes through a process of what's called decarboxylization. Uh, there, it becomes psychoactive. Um, those in the plant itself, 98% generally of the cannabinoids are in their acid form. So what's important when you're making edibles or you're making tinctures is their understanding of what constitutes are you actually getting your medicine in. A lot of people are under the impression of, hey, this is THC or this is CBD. Uh, most of the lab testing we've done is actually most things are in their acid form unless they're heated well above uh, decarboxylization temperature. So they're not really getting any of this um, psycho... With things of CBDA, that's correct. That, or, or THCA in the acid form, that is correct. It's it's usually a non, non-psychoactive. Okay, so the non-psychoactive is what we're typically seeing in the topicals. Um, well, and it depends. It depends really in the infusion. It depends on what what the what you want to make for the individual, what they require. Um, most of the lab research I've done uh, correlates to uh, very specific ratios of, of very specific compounds, uh, and for certain conditions. So when we deal individually with with a person or a dispensary, we have an idea of, of kind of what their needs are, what they're looking for, and based on that, we can. So formulate. I'm I, I'm thinking about cancer patients now, and I'm thinking about cancer pain. Sure. And so, you know, morphine is typically the morphine drip for the advanced stages of cancer. Right. And I know that in, that the morphine and a lot of these painkillers do a real number on people's um, digestive systems. Sure. Um, does medical cannabis have that side effect? No, none At of those. At least anecdotally? So what are the side effects of medical cannabis? Let, let's say, you know, I'm just going to put this out there. Let's say there's a cancer patient, terrible cancer pain. Maybe they're already, they're in hospice. They're told they have, um, you know, theoretically th- uh, two to three months to live. And um, would they be a candidate for a transdermal or for the medical cannabis? And could there could it potentially have... Um, let, you know, what would their side effects be? Well, I would say generally the side effects from cannabis are hungry, happy, and sleepy. 
for the most part. That's right? it. And that's hungry, happy, hungry, sleepy? happy, sleepy, that's and that's it's, it's, well. it's it's a it's a it's a and it's a pretty generalized description, obviously, but more so just to kind of highlight the lack of severe uh, overdose or, or, or an issue. Can it's, you overdose on it? You absolutely can to the point where you feel uncomfortable, though as far as a fatal or lethal dose, um, I've never been That's reported. That's not been heard of? Never That's been not been of. reported? Reported even anecdotally in any time in history, as far as I'm aware. We have a lock. So. Well, I have a four-year-old son as well at home, and we have a huge lockbox on the counter for all of Adeline's medicine. And certainly, we keep the cannabis in there as well. Mm-hmm. But we wouldn't necessarily have to if Colin ever got a hold of the medical cannabis. He would probably sleep it off, but he wouldn't okay. necessarily um, be in the emergency room as he would with any of the other medicines that Adeline's on. Sure. And typically with uh, an overdose of, of cannabis, you would have uh, a person would fall asleep prior to, to getting into an overdose, you know, to a point where their toxicity is so high that, that it would be of concern. Okay. Well, I have a question that um, just came in um, and they're asking, with all these advances, is insurance or pharmacy coverage somewhere down the road? I would love to think so. Um, I, I would say hesit- insurance companies typically are, hes- are hesitant to cover anything they're not required to, right? Um, I think until we have some type of federal uh, cl- reclassification of cannabis and some type of regulation with the appropriate lab research, mm-hmm. um, I think that's still far and, and, and so far uh, off in the, in the sunset, unfortunately. Um, and reason that's that's honestly the biggest part with cannabis is being the expense as it is, is that we're not covered by insurance companies. We're not subsidized by tax credits. We don't have any, uh, you know, running a, a, a cannabis dispensary or And you or can't patent of, the product. Well, there's no or, patentability, right? right? There's, yeah, there's, it's, it's very difficult to patent nature. It's very difficult to patent what naturally exists. So, um, you know. So you think that un- until that this conversation may take place once the feds I think that make we're gonna it have legal, um, absolutely. Well, once legal once there's some types of, of, of taxation and regulation system, uh, and once they have uh, an idea of how it all work out, and I think as states come on board, as as Colorado and, and Washington have legalized as well for for recreational and medical use, um, I, I think unfortunately a lot of it is going to be uh, financially related uh, as, as far mm-hmm. as uh, it's going to be in the form of tax credits. The reason they're going to legalize or regulate may be because of the uh, unbelievable amount of taxes that have been collected in both of those states from their. Yeah, I've heard Colorado's group. doing really well. <laughs> Fantastically, right, <now. laughs> right? And 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 they should. I, I mean, uh, Governor Chafee in Rhode Island was quoted uh, hilariously using pot for potholes uh, as one of his tax credit things to fix yep. potholes. So yeah. it's it's a yeah. very it's and it's a I mean it's a controversial thing really. It but is honestly, controversial, but so were the casinos. Uh, agreed. And that still is a controversial. And, and, right. and it shouldn't be controversial. <laughs> That's the frustrating piece. Right. You think med- you're not talking about casinos? You're talking about medical I'm cannabis. About medical cannabis. It know? shouldn't be. Controversial. It's a medicine like any other, you know. It is a plant medicine. Is the only thing that's different. Is you know, people worry about, uh, you know, people smoking or taking a medicine like this and then driving around, where they can certainly do the same thing on any of the other legal drugs that they're prescribed every day. Sure. And well, (laughs) from a pharmaceutical standpoint, it's also very difficult. they could have someone in a lab for 10 years developing the perfect cannabinoid profile. And the reality is, is that someone in their backyard can probably produce something that's going to have a similar effect or a similar result. I don't believe that when someone says that, uh, oh, it's this strain or this is the, the panacea, the only answer for, for cancer. I mean, the same cancer is being cured in, in, 
uh, Colorado and California and any other state and, and in the world as well. So it's compound related, I believe, and not necessarily strain specific or one very particular thing. Um, and just its safety aspect. I mean, when you look at the number of conditions and number of symptoms that it treats versus the side effects versus what's currently available. Mm-hmm. I, certainly why we got it's into this right. I, I can't, I can't imagine a more worthwhile cause as far as being able to help, you know, parents such as Megan that, you know, really are in a, in a, uh, what really got me as well was at the state house when I met Megan, the first day that I introduced myself to her was, uh, I had overheard a comment from, I, I'm not sure who they were representing, but it was it was someone that said that most of these parents are in an untenable situation um, as far as wanting tested, regulated, you know, accurately dosed medicine. And uh, I almost took a personal offense as, as, as I, I love our job. I love what we do. And I love the, uh, we're very passionate about what we do. And just. Well, you're, you're, you're on the front line. So you're seeing. Right. Well, we see, I mean, we like, I, we've been, we've been fortunate enough to really work with, like I said, local hospitals and have doctors where we're starting to collect a lot of evidence and a lot of um, not just patient testimonials, but blood work and x-ray samples and things where we can actually prove what we're talking about. And well, it's using these options and, and creating these infusions that, um, you know, are, are really making the, the difference for these patients. Right. Now, what about in the state of Maine? Are, are, is there any, anybody have experience with that, the physicians in the state of Maine, the openness to medical cannabis? Mostly, yeah. I mean, I, I think that there are, um, there's a few physicians that I know that are absolutely willing to, to talk to patients and talk to people, but most are still very hesitant as far as their DEA license and as far as the regulatory aspects, even social or, or what have you, a stigma that... Yeah. You're asking may- them to recommend an illegal product, that's which exactly is really right. a challenging position for physicians to be in. Right. It, that's not acceptable in the United States of America. You know, like it, people should, doctors should be in charge of what medicine they are recommending or prescribing. I mean... Currently, doctors can't prescribe this medication at all. It's a recommendation to the state saying that you have a qualifying condition under state law. State law does not belong in my daughter's medical Okay, so let's take this further. Someone's listening. Maybe they have severe depression or anxiety or PTSD, or maybe they have uh, the last, uh, um, they're, they're have terminal cancer. Sure. And they want to have access in the state of Maine to medical cannabis. Uh, Alex or Megan, how do they go about this? How do they begin? What do they do? Uh, typically, I mean, your best option is to speak with your primary care physician, right? Start start at your home base, someone that you're comfortable with, and talk to them about it and be open and honest because that open and honest has always been the best policy as far as what I've seen and what I've experienced with patients. Um, a lot of doctors behind closed doors, they're all about it. Uh as far as writing paperwork or putting anything on paper, that's where they're more hesitant. Um, so there are doctors that are willing to speak with patients, though. Um, it has been a challenge for a lot of people because their doctors are either A, not willing, or B, they are willing to do they uh, recommend need an, it, but they don't want... They need an MD script, don't they? Correct. Yes. They do. Okay. So so they have to get an MD script. And right. if and and so it's a recommendation. Not a it's a recommendation. Oh, that's okay. Right. All right. Not <laughs> a script. Thank you. Yeah. So it's a recommendation that they have to get from their medical doctor. Correct. Can a nurse practitioner do this as well, or does it have to come from an MD or DL? Legislation is just changing on that, so I'm I not certain so. where it is currently. Okay. Um, so and, potentially the NPs would be a part of this, sure. and pharmacists... 
I uh, believe pharmacists. I don't believe. I no. believe it's just MPs and, and MDs. Right. Okay, and 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 DOs of course. Yes, because they and operate if, if they're like pediatric MDs. patients, to my knowledge, currently there's only one doctor in the state of Maine that is recommending one doctor patients. For Dr. Sulak is who Adeline sees in Falmouth. Dr. Sulak, and that's it. As to my knowledge, brave doctor, mm-hmm. um, compassionate doctor. Yeah. Okay, so um, so so then they would get the. Um, recommendation mm-hmm. from a physician what's the next step uh, next step is uh, you have two options basically you can either seek a caregiver uh, cultivate it yourself or you can assign one of the existing dispensaries here in the state uh, to serve as your caregiver or your provider for you and it functions as a retail location in which you can purchase your medicine so they can purchase they so they can grow their own or they can purchase from a caregiver from a caregiver and or how do they find the caregivers uh, caregivers, it's a, it's a very, uh, in most of these states, because of the nature of the program, they're very tight-knit small communities. Uh, some of them will specialize in certain things or have certain varieties that are specific to them. Can they Google caregivers, medical uh, marijuana caregivers in Maine? And well, have- they, there are, there are absolutely, there are organizations there. Uh, there's the medical marijuana caregivers of Maine. There's, uh, you know, many of these organizations so that exist. So there's many here. They, there are options for people to be able to reach other other caregivers and and have access to medicine locally to them absolutely um as far as advertising they're really not advertising as a business yet because of the gray area of our law um in regards to operating a lab or operating uh you know it's it's here it's we've we've managed to function just on uh goodwill mostly because our law permits the gifting of medicine so long as nothing of value is exchanged so for for uh triple helix in maine so far has been just functioning on this uh premise of hoping to offer um hope of some sort or an option for people to have a calculated medicine while we try to navigate the, the gray areas of the law through the law okay so once they so once they get the recommendation they uh, they find the caregiver and they can work with that caregiver to get with the the what they need sure they would interview the caregiver and find out the types of strains that they're growing for what questions should they ask to interview the caregiver oh, what, I, what did they need to ask uh, typically, you you can ask them, uh, you know, the types of strains they're growing, their methodology, whether it's organic or not. That's typically important. Is it important, important that it's organic? Uh, yes. To a lot of you people, it is. You don't want to concentrate pesticides into a child's medicine. Sure. Okay. It's, it, absolutely. And yeah. and more so, uh, it's, yeah, it's general practice in, in the facilities where um, you want to, I think a good judge of character is, is usually the way someone will keep their household uh, is a good indication of how their garden is kept. So okay. uh, if if so, you want the plants fungus free, exactly, exactly, free. You want them pure as um, possible, pure as possible. I noticed at the Slater House they were hydroponic. Correct. Yes, we do. We do do hydroponic cultivation. They also do uh, some soil organic cultivation as well. Oh, okay. Um, though, yeah, we we do a lot of hydroponic uh, options as well. And hydroponic doesn't necessarily mean not organic either. Actually, um, it is. There are many different organic options for, for, for hydroponic. hydroponic as well absolutely and okay. um, so all of that product there is is organic now if somebody wanted to purchase that product in the state of maine this is kind of what you came across megan when you were in colorado right yeah they you would, can't bring cannot, these products across a border cannot right? whatsoever so now. this is why is this well is this why um some parents are opting to go to colorado Yes. Um, frankly, out of desperation, there are a lot of states in our country that are not 
uh, medically legal. So a lot of those families are uprooting and moving to Colorado. Um, my family is a little bit in between at the moment. You, um, you think you might state. really? Um, you know, simply before we met Alex, we were in the process of moving to Colorado because we did not have um, a safe, measurable local option. So without um, the products that Alex has been able to engineer and make sure that, you know, I know how many milligrams I'm dosing Adeline with to be able to have that uh, conversation with our doctor and to be able to titrate her medicine slowly and know exactly what I'm giving her, how many milligrams of each major cannabinoid, um, I didn't feel comfortable enough to be able to give her cannabis. You know, I'm, I'm not willing to just give her anything, not knowing where it's come from or how it's been grown or what's in it. Um, our doctor tells us that THC can be a proconvulsant. You know, it certainly in higher amounts. Um, so it could actually induce the more uh, seizure, seizure. Exactly right. So having an untested product for her is simply not an option, um, and that's why we we began looking into going to Colorado. I mean, many families are having fantastic success on that Charlotte's Web medicine, which is very similar to what Alex is able to produce here in Maine at, at a you know strong ratio in that 18 or 19 to 1 ratio between those two cannabinoids. And what's important with cannabinoids as well is that with THC as far as a pro-convulsant, it's, it's a biphasic medicine, meaning that in smaller doses, it will produce energy or create energy, be uplifting, where in higher doses, it can be lethargic and, uh, and give you and the opposite relief. effect. Correct. It's a, it's a, it's a biphasic functioning okay. so it's, it's really tricky i mean there, there is. isn't enough research for parents like me to say this is the way it is this is the the rule there's no handbook on how to medicate you know well, your epileptic well, child with cannabis well what made you <laughs> trust alex um honestly you know just his personality I, re I really felt at ease with him right away um he's gifting the medicine to him to adeline there's no hidden agenda with alex um you know he's very willing to show me what he's growing and how he's processing um, and I just felt comfortable from him with him right away. Um, at our first meeting, he brought along a bunch of resource materials, you know, to um, show me how he processes the material and what his extraction method is. I was very impressed that he brought a, a research document from um, scientists in Israel, and he said, you know, well, these are the, all the different extraction methods. This is what they found in terms of safety and. Um, you know, effectiveness in terms of drawing out the medicine from from the plant with those methods. Alex, why why medical cannabis? Why this is clearly your passion. Why? Uh, it's it's amazing. I mean, from a from a plant, everything about it. Honestly, I mean, every, every improvement it's gotten in my life personally, and uh, from an educational standpoint. Um, I am just passionate about the plant. I see what it does. Um, I got my first uh, dose of medical cannabis as far as experience um, with my aunt who uh, had pancreatic cancer and she had a five-year battle with pancreatic cancer. Oh. Um, and that was an eye-opener for me. And I've seen a lot of, of people um, who were willing to try, but weren't able to uh, have access. So. We have to leave it there. I'm so sorry we could go on and on. So this is Cynthia Swan for Healthy Options. I want to thank my guest, Alex Liebster, the Director of Research and Product Development at the Thomas C. Slater Center in Providence, Rhode Island, and owner of the Triple Helix Extract Sciences Company, and mom, Megan Patrick, and her lovely daughter, Adeline, for joining us. Thank you for sharing your story with thank Medical you. Cannabis. And um, for more information, Maine Epilepsy Families United on Facebook or Ken and Megan at Hotmail.com to get a hold of Megan and TripleHelixExtracts.com if you would like to get a hold of my other guest, Alex Liebster, um, TripleHelix.com. Thank you for listening and thank you to Amy Brown for engineering this show. I'm Cynthia Swan. I'm wishing you a great day. Thank you.
Support for WERU health-related programming comes from the Penobscot Bay Press, committed to providing community news and